When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, Giants fans? Uh, Daryl Slater here with Bob Brookover on the latest episode of our Talk is Cheap Giants podcast from NJ.com, the Star Ledger, NJ Advanced Media. Coming to you here two days after the Giants improved to 6-1. and one. Uh, Another dramatic win. Of course, that's pretty much the only way they win. <laughs> the, the only way they play. Uh, every game a one-possession game so far through seven weeks for the Giants. 6-1, four straight wins, tying their second-longest winning streak uh, since uh, their last Super Bowl championship. Uh, right now, they got an 86% chance of making the playoffs, uh, according, at least according to the New York Times model with that. And uh, we all know, obviously, it's been a long, long time since they have. At least it feels like it since 2016, since they made the playoffs. And right now, they're the top wild card seed, uh, fifth seed in the uh, in the NFC. Uh, trip to Seattle coming next as the Giants look to try to continue here their best start to a season since 2008, when they started 11 and one. So, again. Uh, just the numbers continue to, uh, on so many levels, be impressive uh, in terms of the overall performance of Brian Dable's first team. They got a win that you know wouldn't necessarily be qualified as uh, shocking, I don't think, in Jacksonville. Maybe how it ended was kind of crazy, as of always, but um, that was a game the Giants should have won. They did win. They found a way to win despite some flaws. And so, so Bob, what are your takeaways here coming out of a Week 7 win 23-17 down at Jacksonville. Uh, six and one, winning in the end. That's what the, that's what the 2022 New York Giants do. Um, you know, Daniel Jones played a great game. Um, I, you know, I haven't seen all his games, but certainly the best one I've seen, and I got to think it's one of the best ones of his Giants career. Um, you know, he, it, it's funny because you can really, when you listen to Brian Dable, he was upset about a lot of things after that game. Daniel Jones is not one of them. He, I mean, he is really growing fond of his quarterback, and he should be because he's really helped them in a lot of ways win games. Um, you know, and maybe not all conventional. The you know the, the drop back quarterback hitting long passes, but he's finding ways every week. Um, Saquon banged up, played another terrific game. The offensive line banged up, really had a great last drive. The defense was. Gave up huge chunks of yards, um, but every time they needed to make a big play, they made one. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of the formula they've put together that whatever they need to do to win, they do it. Yes, indeed, and we can start with Daniel Jones, 19-30, uh, 202, 32-yard beauty of a touchdown pass to Darius Slayton 
Uh, and of course, Jones making Giants history, I guess the first Giant quarterback in however long, 70 years. I mean, look, let's be honest here. They had, they had a couple quarterbacks who were statues, who were really good players, but like Phil Simms was not a running quarterback and neither was the Eli Manning. But anyway, Daniel Jones, 107 rushing yards and a touchdown. So um, obviously whenever your quarterback runs for more than 100 yards, that's impressive. And so uh, regardless of you know how often it's ever happened in your team's history, but uh, another really steady performance and, and, Steady in some ways and certainly really impressive and spectacular in other ways for Daniel Jones. Um, and, you know, again, we'll see what this what becomes of this at the end of the season. He's obviously in a contract here. Everybody knows that. But the one takeaway that I have, the big, big, broad takeaway that I had of him coming out of this game um, was that he's developing. And I wrote this for Tuesday morning. Uh, I'm sorry, for, for Monday morning. Uh, for the into the type of demanding and delivering leader that the Giants need. Number one, delivering, delivering in big spots. I mean, he has now uh, Daniel Jones five game-winning drives, counting the field goal drive against the Panthers. Five game-winning drives out of six games, out of six wins rather, in seven games for the Giants this year. I mean, that's remarkable. Like, and and fourth quarter comebacks, four of those. So he's tied for the NFL lead in fourth quarter comebacks. He leads uh, the league by two, a margin of two, in, in game-winning drives. And you talk about a kid who he won three, five, and four games in his first three years. So, like, this is uncharted, unchartered, whatever the word would be, territory for this guy. He had three game-winning drives total in his first three years, two fourth-quarter comebacks total in his first three years. And and the demanding part, I think, I, I know he apologized for, for – he look – it's not like he got in Marcus Johnson's face. It's not like he railed against the guy on the sideline or he shoved him or something. He expressed frustration about a guy brutally dropping a pass. I think it's okay. There's no, I have no problem with a quarterback uh, being demanding of, of the players on his offense. Um, and I'm sure Marcus Johnson's not crying about, you know, the fact that his quarterback was frustrated. Like I know Daniel Jones apologized for that. I don't think he needed to. How many times have we seen, Really great quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, get upset at their receivers for dropping balls or running wrong routes. Uh, you know, it's when you've got the cachet to do it, and right now Daniel Jones has the cachet to do it. There's nothing wrong with it. You're just demanding. You're demanding more from. You're demanding that your teammates play to the same standard that you're playing right now, and he's playing at the highest possible standards you can play. I mean. ESPN um, QBR rating has never been kind to Daniel Jones, uh, and there are factors that go into it. Other than you know, it's different than a passer rating. I don't know the exact system how they do it, but right now he's number six on that on that group. And you know, and I, as I look at the group, it starts Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Tua, Geno Smith, and Lamar Jackson. Of those six, I would. The maybe the only two I wouldn't take Daniel ahead of right now is is Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. You know, and, and part of that is because I'm not sure Tua is going to stay healthy the rest of his career. You know, Gino's older, and uh, you know we watched Lamar Jackson play two weeks ago, and he, yes, he's a great great dual threat. But I, you know, Daniel right now I think is a is a better passer than him and maybe not as good a runner, but a better passer and controlling games. Right. And definitely, as you just pointed out, better at finishing games. Lamar has not been good at finishing games this year. Um, so, I mean, among stories in the NFL right now, Daniel Jones is 
certainly in the top five. A hundred percent. I think, um, you know, and again, like it's one thing to get upset at players, uh, your teammates, uh, you know, receivers or whatever, um, when you're not delivering, but he is like, so he's talked about like, not, you know, I want to be composed and all that. Okay. Like I get that you want to be composed. Um, but he's being composed when it matters most in big spots late in the game. I mean, we all saw it again. The giants get the fourth and one stop on the Trevor Lawrence, um, quarterback sneak Jalen Smith in there and then they turn right around they drive 79 yards down the field uh and get and take the lead for it with a touchdown to go up 20 to 17 and then they ice the game with that um really impressive nine play you know if you count the field goal eight play drive where they run the the power run eight straight times um and so two drives to, to you know one to take the lead two to kind of ice the game <laughs> as we all saw how it came down to the end um but he's delivering and he is being composed when it matters. So I, I get what he's saying that he doesn't want to show up his teammates. He's a nice guy. He's not, he doesn't embrace like being a jerk. You know, I'll, I'll say jerk, right? Because we'll be friendly here. Like Aaron Rodgers sometimes does. But, and like, look, like Brady can too. And, and you know what? To have that arrogance, that works for those guys, obviously, because they're incredible players. That's not necessarily Daniel Jones' personality. Um, so I understand him, you know, getting a little annoyed at himself or stepping outside of that. But, hey, look, I mean, Eli Manning did it at times. There's nothing wrong with being demanding of your teammates. Um, and especially, like I said, if you're being composed when it actually really matters in terms of the performance at the end of, at the, end of the game. So um, no matter how you slice it, uh, another clutch performance from, from the Giants offense. And we'd be remiss here if we didn't mention Saquon Barkley, of course. He's got the NFL lead with 906 total rushing slash receiving yards. Nick Chubb second at 807. Uh, and another again, this guy has not had an off game yet. He's playing with a sore shoulder. I know Brian Dable got a little down on him for not getting out of bounds in that last or for getting out of bounds, I should say, perhaps maybe protecting a shoulder on the last drive. But the bottom line is, you know, 25 receiving yards in this game and 110 rushing yards, including like a couple really big runs in that last drive. So look, I can't get too down on him uh, for, for running out of bounds, but what did you make of another strong day from Saquon Barkley? It was funny because on Monday, I think, uh, I think Dable was a little, felt like he might've been a little too hard on Saquon uh, on Sunday after the game. You know, he, Dable gets so caught up in the, in the, in the emotions of the game that they come out on Sundays. That's where we see him. Uh, you know, that's where we see his emotions. We don't see him the rest of the week, but on Monday he was more, you know, Saquon's been great. I love Saquon. Uh, you know, it, it was just another great performance and sticking the script. He didn't have a great first half. Um, you know, they, they shut him down the first half. Uh, and then when the, when crunch time comes, he just picks up huge chunks of yards. Uh, the other great thing I thought from the Giants' perspective is, you know, the coach is mad at him. He, the only person more mad at Brian Day or at Saquon Barkley than Brian Dable was Saquon Barkley. I mean, he really, he took it and said, "Hey, I got to be better than that. I can't do that. I, you know, I, I got, I know the situation. I didn't do the right thing." Uh, you know, he talked about I'm going to close my eyes on the plane and vision myself doing it the right way uh, and try to get rid of it. But you know, he held he held himself accountable. And to me, again, you know. It's, it's Daniel Jones trying to hold others accountable when he's playing to such a high standard. Uh, and 
Saquon Barkley, your two big offensive leaders, are are both saying, doing everything the right way. Uh, it's impossible not to have great team chemistry when you've, you've got your two best offensive players playing and doing the right things all the time. Yeah, and I, I think the one thing about Saquon Barkley throughout his career, um, he's he's never like chafed at criticism from his coaches. And I remember, you know, Joe Judge criticized him in practice, you know, called him, you know, yelled at him or whatever. And that's never bothered him. I, you know, the, the, he has obviously, very obviously chafed at criticism from people outside, whether those are analysts or, you know, everyone remembers Tiki Barber criticizing and honestly, rightly so Saquon Barkley's pass protection, which has improved this year, um, by the way. Um, so th- that's the criticism that's kind of seemingly bothered him, but he's really been good at accepting that from his coaches and you know certainly that's another example of that but you know if, if, if you talk about an area of the Giants maybe look I think that this nitpicking or whatever that the Giants are doing it's good it's a sign of a team that's holding itself to a higher standard and isn't just happy with winning and I think an area maybe if that Barkley stuff is a little bit nitpicky I think an area where it's not nitpicky right now and, and you can even hear this coming from Leonard Williams after the game is this Giants defense is not been the same has not been the same this past these past two weeks. They got gashed, especially in the first half by the Ravens and the Jaguars. Uh, they gave up a big nut yardage number again. They almost blew the game in colossal fashion at the end of the game, if not for Fabian Moreau and then Xavier McKinney and Julian Love keeping Christian Kirk out of the end zone in the last play of the game. Uh, there are concerns for this defense. And Leonard Williams, I talked to him after the game, wrote a story about this for today. He is not um, hiding from that. He is not pleased with where this defense is right now. And honestly, he shouldn't be, especially because uh, they're going to playing not only a tough place to play in Seattle, but uh, an offense that's performing well in Geno Smith, who's surprisingly doing a really nice job this year. So what what are your uh, what's your concern level for this Giants defense? This I'd point? say it's very high. And I'd say, again, it, it wasn't just Leonard Williams. Uh, Julian Love talked about it. Yeah. Xavier McKinney called it their worst defensive game of the year. And it was they gave what they gave up four hundred and fifty eight yards I think was a season high. What's that? Four four fifty two. Season it was a season high. Uh, you know they got ran on uh, for big big chunk plays. Travis Etienne ran on them. Uh, you know it was it was not a good defensive performance at all, um, except for coming up with big plays and turnovers, but. You know, even penalties on that last drive kept things alive. Um, you know, I they, they can't continue to play this way. And if they do play that way, I think in Seattle, where A, it's a tough place to play, and B, Geno Smith has, you know, I just said Daniel Jones is one of the top five stories in, in the NFL right now. Geno Smith is certainly in that group too with what he's done with, with that team. You know, he said everybody had me dead. He hasn't had a game yet where he's thrown for under 64% completion percentage. And in five of his seven, he's thrown over for 70, 70 yards. Uh, he's And he's turned the ball over, thrown two interceptions, and he's got, what, four, six, nine, 11, 11 TDs, two interceptions. He's been sensational. So if the Giants' defense goes to Seattle, it's really – Really tough place to play. One of the loudest stadiums I've ever been in. Uh, and you're not – unlike last week where there was uh, Giants fans traveled really well and gave the Giants kind of a home field advantage in Jacksonville. It was New York South. Um, they're not going to have that in, in Seattle on Sunday. This, that place is going to be loud and tough to play. 
And I think one thing to really look at for this team is, um, you know, I know Kenneth Walker, the the rookie for for the Seahawks, is not maybe necessarily a bounce it outside guy, right? He's he's a little bit, he's a shorter, broader guy. He's a Spartan. Um, I, I love the Spartan, so I gotta. <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I know he's been spectacular this year. I have, honestly have not watched a lot of Seahawks, but they they he's been one of the keys to their offense. But, so, well, I'll just say this before before we move on. I watched Kenneth Walker play a lot last year, and the and the name that came to mind for me, you know, watch, I, I watched pretty much every Michigan State game, was Barry Sanders. I mean, he really, okay. yeah. really, really elusive and and tough. All right, so I my my little uh, thumbnail sketch of him was a little bit off there, but uh, he obviously is a quick guy. Then, so uh, again, we don't get to watch a lot of these other games. But uh, to that end, uh, with with the challenges that Kenneth Walker will pose for this Giants defense, regardless of how well the, or not well the Giants have been playing lately, and they have not been playing well the last two weeks defensively, they got gashed by Kenyon Drake, 119 yards on 10 carries. They got gashed by Travis Etienne. 14 carries for 114. I mean, those averages are ridiculous. 12 yards a carry and eight yards a carry for Drake and ETN. So uh, that's a problem. And Leonard Williams talked about it openly after the game. You know, teams are seeing it, he said. They're starting to scheme against us with runs to the outside. I'm kind of paraphrasing there. And he just said the quote here, we just need to tighten it down. And they certainly do uh, because teams are going to keep attacking them in that way if they don't get that sorted out. Um, and so for as much as we talk about Geno Smith, redemptive story, former Jets, Giants, flame out, um, it's really Kenneth Walker who could be a nightmare for this defense if, if the Giants don't get this buckled up. Well, and Geno can run too. That's the other thing yeah. that, 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 that he can do that can, can cause a problem for that. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what the the, the, the run fits have been for, for Winky. There is a sideline shot of him toward the, the end of that game that he just wasn't happy with the way his defense – uh, was was handling that last drive. Uh, there were a lot of shots of him not being happy last week. Um, you know, I don't know what they have to do to tighten it up, but whatever it is, Wink's got to figure it out because uh, because they do have to they do have to protect the edge a lot a lot better than they have. And and you know we're talking you know a little bit here about some concerns, and I think rightly so. The 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 reasons for success are obvious. So it's, it's reasonable to talk about some of the concerns and injuries are one of those. But before we uh, dive into the injuries, I think let's revisit real quick. I, I mentioned it just briefly. Um, the fact that the giants ran that power run play on eight, uh, eight straight plays on that, all eight plays of their field goal drive that should have iced the game to make a 23, 17, right? So uh, they not only did that, which is impressive, but they did that while have while down their left guard Ben Bredesen out with a knee injury and down their right tackle Evan Neal also out with a knee injury. Um, and we'll get to the overall injury update in a bit. But how how impressive was that the Giants were able to do that? Even if again Saquon Barkley ran out of bounds, the fact that they were able to gash the Jaguars. It, like it was really an impressive drive. It was, it was they they bullied the the Jags on the last drive. They just said, you know what. We're in our four-minute offense, and our four-minute offense is going to be the same play eight straight times. Uh, you know, we'll run a variation off it of where, where one time they give it to Breida because Saquon was on the sideline for one play, and one time Daniel Jones pulled it out, pulled it out, and ran for 15 yards himself because by that point, the the Jags had no idea that they would do anything other than hand the ball off. Um, but you know, Tyree Phillips, who filled in for. Uh, Evan Neal, or no, I guess it was more. Well, Tyree Phillips did a few times they ran because they would run it left one time, but uh, 
uh, Andrew Thomas was pulling and blowing guys away uh, on, on that play. You know, it was just the offensive line for being a makeshift offensive line at, at that point in a lot of ways, you know, three of the five guys or two of the five guys, it was a really impressive ending for them. And, and, and just overall uh, an impressive day. They kept, they kept Jones clean. They, they made big, they created big holes for Saquon, uh, you know, offensively it, that probably was the Giants best game of the season. And the fact that they could go into a four minute offense and say, we're going to beat you just by running the ball down your throat. Um, it's a great sign for this team. It really is. And uh, I think, you know, putting teams away is something that this, this group has to get better at um, and maybe not having as many dramatic wins. And and so that they would have certainly done that if uh, they had, you know, m- made that Jaguars last drive less, less eventful. I think everyone could have framed it as, Hey, they, they put them away. You know, they got the last field goal drive. They ran it down their throats and then they got us, you know, a stop or whatever at midfield for the Jaguars that obviously didn't happen. And they came one yard short of basically blowing the game. But, um, so the one, the one thing I, the one thing I want to ask Mike Kafka on, on Thursday when he's available is, um, where did that come from? Because I covered Andy Reid for, for eight years and Andy Reid would, would have broke out in hives if he had to run the ball eight straight times, even in the four minute offense. Uh, and Mike Kafka just said, Nope, that's it. That's my play. Stop it. And they couldn't. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It was remarkable and impressive for sure. And uh, I think as you look ahead to this this Seattle matchup and what the Giants are going to be dealing with, and especially in terms of their offensive line, they're facing a Seahawks defense that's not been great, 25th in PFF compared to um, the Seahawks offense being 7th. And then you talk about Seattle's run defense average at 17. So um, the Giants, though, are going to be without Evan Neal. He's not going to play this week. He could be out about a month or so with a sprained MCL. They'll surely be without Ben Bredesen, who's got a knee injury of some sort. Um, and and you got to remember here that the the Giants were going to start Shane Lemieux as their left guard before Ben Bredesen, and he has a foot injury. So as you consider the totality of their injury situation, like and then Daniel Bellinger, their their really impressive rookie tight end, he had a the very freak eye injury. He's going to have to have surgery. His vision will be okay, it sounds like, but he may not play again this year. So Bredesen, Neal, Bellinger all go down in Jacksonville, and and like I said, I mean Bellinger might be done for the year. I'd expect Neil and Bredesen to be out a few weeks at least. Um, and we Lemieux already out. He hasn't even played this year. Uh, and so not even counting guys like Sterling Shepard, who are definitely out this year, this for the whole year, not even counting those guys. Here's a rundown of the guys who, who either definitely will or, or might not play in Seattle for the Giants. Of course, Shane Lemieux, uh, Daniel Bellinger, Evan Neal, Ben Bredesen, uh, offensively, along with Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, and then on the defensive side, O'Shane Zimenez. We'll see if he can come back from the quad injury this week. Aziz Ojolari is now on IR with that calf injury that has not gotten much better. And then Aaron Robinson, uh, uh, the cornerback, obviously, who was a starter on the shelf with uh, right a knee injury, I believe, right? So uh, on IR. So I don't know when he's a- a- eligible to return, but look, th- that's a big, big list of guys. Those are just notable players. I'm not even including Cordell Flott in there, but I'm just talking about really notable players who the Giants uh, either definitely will or, or perhaps might not have in Seattle. That's a lot to overcome. I think especially for their offensive line, and if you include Bellinger in that group because he's such a good blocker, a lot to overcome. 
It is a really lot to overcome. Uh, the, the one guy who probably maybe this helps a lot who's been trying to make his own comeback is Nick Gates, uh, who they have to make a decision on. I think this week, correct? Um, is the and yeah, he had 21 days from the time he was uh, right from the time returned to practice. Right. So, so, I mean, given uh, given the offensive lines, especially two, you mentioned Lemieux and Bredesen. Uh, you know, Josh Azudu, the, the rookie, is probably going to be starting there. I can continue to because he was he was kind of uh, quasi starter there at the start of the season. But you know, they're going to need depth. At, on the offensive line, and that might bode well for Nick Gates. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been a theme since training camp. The Giants um, have been, you know, it's a theme in a lot of places. But the Giants have had certainly more than their fair share of injuries here through, you know, which makes another part of this story that has been so impressive is that they've been able to overcome all these injuries. Um, and they're going to have to continue to do it. It's going to be a tough week to to go out there, um, a long trip to make, um, and some more guys filling in here. See if they can do it. <laughs> yeah, and, and regarding you, were exactly right with Nick Gates. He he returned to practice uh, off, you know, kind of essentially coming off the pup list, but not officially on October the fifth. That was a Wednesday, and he had you know three weeks, twenty one days. Um, for the Giants to figure out what they want to do with him. And so that 21-day mark will come tomorrow, right? tomorrow, Wednesday, as we're talking. So if they do not activate him, uh, he'll spend the rest of the year on IR. Now, it's possible it's possible they they could activate him um, and buy try to buy a little more time here. I mean, he would be taking up a roster spot, obviously, um, and then give him a little more time. Like So just because they activate him doesn't mean he's going to play in the game this week. Right. Um, I, so there's 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 some gray area there. They don't have to just quit on him. May not be the right word, but just make a total call of oh either either he's starting or playing or he's going to be done for the year right now. But they do need to figure out if he's going to be elevated to their roster or not. Now, look, I mean it's a it's a it's been a long road back for the kid, and so um, we'll see. I mean it's obviously he sustained such a serious injury that his football career is probably still in doubt, but um, as look, I, I think the giants right now, like how, how do they, they're going to, they're going to hope obviously that Neil and Bredesen come back sooner rather than later, but the tight end situation, yikes, what do they do? How do they address that? I know we, before we got on here, we talked a little bit about um, a trade. What do you, what do you make of the possibility with the trade deadline looming a week from today, as we're talking in, November the 1st. In, in, in uh, theory, in theory, it sounds great. A trade sounds great. Uh, go, go get you know the the name we talked about is Mike Gusecki, uh, who's a Jersey kid, uh, and and a really good player, um, who who for some reason is not getting the ball nearly as much in Miami this year as he had the previous two years. Um, but in practice, not so easy because they got a two point seven million left on their salary cap. Uh, as we figured out before we came on here, they they would owe roughly six million uh, to to Gusecki unless they could get the Dolphins to eat some of that. It becomes very complicated, very difficult, you know, and then you factor in why do the Dolphins even even if they are giving uh, the targeting Gusecki less, they're still they're still a, very much in the playoff race, uh, and and they're 
great chance to win their division. Well, not win their division because Buffalo's in that division, but great chance to make the playoffs. Why not just keep him for for the rest of the season? You know, there's there's a lot of factors that make all of that difficult. I, I saw some things online. People go go get Gronkowski, Gronkowski, and that you know that's not happening. So I mean, they do. I think they do need to do something at the very least. Add some somebody uh, to the roster to be tight end if he's if in fact Bellinger is not coming back and. Um, I, you hope for the kid's sake that he is coming back because he's played, he's played tremendous in his rookie year, far better than I think the Giants could have even envisioned. Um, so you know, but they're if he if they don't go get somebody big, they're gonna miss they're gonna miss Bellinger and and Dable said as much yesterday. They definitely will, and you know, look, Gronk is not coming for numerous reasons most of which have to do with the fact that the Giants don't even have enough money to pay him what he probably wants. The biggest, uh, the biggest one being he enjoys the Gronk life, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, look, I think, uh, yeah, if the Bucks were good, maybe he'd jump back in with Brady, but what, whatever. But uh, the Gusecki thing, you know, having to eat – the Dolphins having to perhaps eat some of that salary means they're probably going to want more in draft pick compensation. Uh, of course – just Gasecki's a rental player, a rental player. He's in the final year of his contract. So there's that, which generally balances out to the other side, right? That the, the receiving team would have to give up less. So there's so many different things to consider here. Then there's the fact that the Giants don't have a huge draft haul next year. I mean, they have a pick in one pick in round one, two, three, and four, and five. They do not have a six round pick. They have two in round seven. So it's not like they could ship a, a six round pick that could become a five. Uh, they could send a straight up five to Miami, um, but again, the money stuff is is a is probably the biggest hurdle there. Is, if you're just considering Mike Asiki, so uh, yeah, they they are going to have to perhaps and probably roll with what they have because uh, of their limitations. And and I honestly honestly don't think that like giving up a draft pick, even a fifth rounder, is is a wise move for a team that still has a lot of roster holes and the player would be a rental player. So there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of things that well in practice or in, you know, in practice probably don't look as good as maybe if, if you just pipe dream it. But the other one that to me, I think that is perhaps worth addressing here as we consider the bigger picture for this team. Cause again, look, I mean, there there's bigger picture stuff at stake here for the giants, even though they're six and one, um, they want to become a winner over the long haul. They don't want this just to be a one-year type deal, um, which come you know. Look, the Jets in 2015 come to mind. Uh, they went 10 and six. Everyone thought maybe they can build on it. They wound up just being a flash in the pan. Um, but Saquon Barkley's value has never been higher. I know people are going to get furious if they, as they hear this, but look, the Giants are at a position where Saquon Barkley's value has never been higher. He's in a contract here. If you don't think you're going to pay him, uh, they they're not going to trade him. But I'm just kicking this around. What if you could get something really high for him in terms of draft pick compensation, and that would let the Giants perhaps be in better position to maybe move up for a quarterback next year because they're not in position to do it. Uh, So there's a lot of things here. They want Daniel Jones to thrive. They want Saquon Barkley to thrive. They want to make the playoffs. They want to win playoff games. But uh, how about wrapping your head around all the big picture stuff as it pertains to Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, the future, and then the trade deadline? It's why Joe Shane gets the big bucks. <laughs> I mean, he's 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 got some really the way he visioned things. Perhaps uh, coming into this job 
were his hardest work was going to be, or his, you know, his, his, his workload was going to come after this season when he figured out Daniel Jones. And I, you know, I, I have no idea. You would have never said it anyway, what his was in his mind about Daniel Jones coming into the season and Saquon Barkley. But both those guys have made any future decision about them really, 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 really. And I'll say really one more time difficult. Um, You know, if this team, if this team makes the playoffs uh, with, let's say, uh, 11 and 6, 12 and 5 record, and then wins a playoff game, uh, and then you say, okay, and then you don't have a high draft pick uh, or a way to really move up, you know, now you're looking at it's hard to get a franchise quarterback in, in, after the 20th overall pick. Um, and it's, you know, and say what you will about Saquon, you know, that you shouldn't take a running back as high as the Giants took him. You know, you don't just go and replace Saquon Barkley with with anyone either. Um, so Joe Shane, um, I'm sure, is really enjoying being 6-1, and one, but also thinking about, now, how am I going to figure this out? What, are, what, what, are, how are we going to get better? Uh, it was funny because I had a conversation with with Joe Banner before this season started, and he was saying so many teams try to go and win that first year, um, and end up, you know, fooling themselves to thinking that they're good rather than just taking that step back. And and I don't think that's what the Giants did. I think they just they made smart moves with Barkley and 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 Jones and then they said let's play it out and it's playing out in a way that has been fantastic to watch but made Joe Shane's future decisions very very difficult they absolutely did not try to win (laughs) I mean like I I mean they were not tanking in the way that the uh the Panthers are tanking but they had to do a lot of things in terms of shedding uh you know cap numbers like James Bradbury uh, it was a good player just just to be able to get under the cap. They couldn't sign anybody, so like the whole thing, like it didn't didn't no one thought this team was going to win, um, and so yeah, that puts them in a little bit of an interesting situation going forward. Uh, because again, I get back to the 2015 Jets. They they did go all in that year. They they signed Revis uh, and and tried to get the band back together and all that, and trying to uh, push for a win immediately. And they did win immediately, but it wasn't sustainable. Um, but the, the Giants did not do that. So I think that was a good point that Joe, Joe Bannon brought up. But in spite of the fact that they didn't try to win, they are winning. And w- so with Jones, what do you do? I mean, the franchise tag probably around twenty, probably around $32 million next year, which would set essentially the bar for any long-term contract negotiations because why would he take less than that fully guaranteed in this contract? Uh, so maybe you could take that 32 35 38 and spread it over a certain amount of time to limit the cap hit, but then you're committing to him for more than just one year, or do you let him play out at $32 million for one year next year? There's a lot of balls to juggle here for Joe Shane, uh, even though he's going to be in better cap health next year at about 61 million in cap space uh, after ripping the bandaid off this year. And then remember he's going to cut Kenny Galladay. That will add some more cap uh, space to that. They're not going to cut. They probably can't cut Leonard Williams now because they had to rework his deal. So, uh, so much to consider. As for Saquon Barkley, there's going to be a big, uh, a, a fairly high profile free agent running back class next year, which will 
along with the fact a lot of these second deals of running backs have flopped. I think that you could probably re-sign Saquon Barkley for a lot less than, you know, some monster Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott type deal. He's going to want big money, but the market may dictate because of past circumstances and current volume of, of players and running backs in the market that he's not going to get that. So I think that that could play in Joe Shane's favor, certainly. So a lot to consider, but but none of it really has an impact on what's going to happen this week in Seattle. Um, so look, I mean, the Giants, 6-1, and one, they get Seattle by week, home against Texans, home against Lions. This team could be 9-1. and one. We saw Brian Dable smoking a victory cigar on his way out of the stadium in Jacksonville. Uh, <laughs> will he be doing it again Sunday in Seattle? What do you say? You know, as you pointed out, Seattle's defense is not great, and they've given up 20, what, 27, 23 or more, um, five of their seven games. There's a, there's a 39 in there against the Saints, a 45 against the Lions. Um, some big numbers. But they've also put up some big numbers. They've put up a 48 and a 37. Um, I just and a 32. Uh, I think I think this is going to be a tough week for the Giants to travel. Uh, you know, it's it's one game ahead of their bye. Uh, and uh, I've been to Seattle. It's a really tough place to play. I've been there a number of times. Um, it's a great fan base. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take the Seahawks this week in a. In a Crazy wild game, twenty-seven to twenty-four. Another that would be par for the course. I, that, I wonder if at what point does it stop being crazy? Uh, maybe it would be crazy if they actually won or lost the game in like normal fashion. Uh, but I'll go Seahawks thirty-four, Giants twenty-four. Uh, I just think there's a lot working against the Giants this week. They're going up against a, a good offense. Giants defense is not playing well, especially against. Uh, running backs lately. Uh, Kenneth Walker is a huge challenge. Um, and again, they're going across the country playing in a, in a tough venue and uh, they're banged up. And I think eventually, you know, some of this tightrope walking that they're doing is going to run out uh, on them. And, but again, they've given themselves a tremendous amount of wiggle room here at six and one. So look, six and two going into the bye is, is with home games against Texans lions coming out of the bye. You feel good about that before that, before that trip, uh, down to thanks uh, Dallas on Thanksgiving. So that's still a collision course, going to be an epic game, and uh, we'll see what happens this week. But I, I'll go 34-24 for the Seahawks in this one. Um, yeah, no, I think that that's, uh, that'll we'll wrap it up there, and I appreciate everyone listening. So be sure to like, subscribe, review us on all your uh, various podcasting platforms, as they say, and uh, we will talk to you guys next week coming out of the Seattle game and coming out of Halloween. Hope everyone gets a, a bunch of good candy and all that good stuff uh, next Monday on Halloween. So enjoy your week, everybody. Enjoy the game this weekend and take care.